If we pray that prayer over ourselves, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done, I guess we're putting ourselves in the hands of God. Uh, And we can do it glibly, but actually if we really think about it, it's quite a big prayer to pray. It's quite a serious prayer to pray, but you know what? It's the best prayer to pray because he is perfect. He is the good, good father. You can trust him with everything. I guess the problem is life, the world, the flesh, and the devil would often say, what are you doing? Putting your, putting your life in this, this distant, vague concepts, you know, in the hands of fate. No, it's not that. It's the hands of a father. Really? Is he a father? Yeah, but fathers, they're not always great, are they? They often reject you and shout at you and abuse you. And Yeah, no, but he's the good, good father. He's the perfect father. And there's this battle that goes on for us. What is God really like? And who am I, therefore, in his hands? Am I safe? I kind of feel like that's the kind of journey we've been going on. And some of what Paul will be sharing tonight would have been um, about what does it mean to know that you are a child of God? What does it mean to know him as a father? Even that word father, for some of you in the room, is a really big deal because some of your fathers maybe weren't great or maybe weren't there. Or maybe when they were there, you wish they weren't. Or they were just cold or distant. Or their love was always conditional on you achieving stuff. And you always sought approval and you always sought love. And sometimes it came, but it came when you did well. And then you felt validated. The trouble with that is, what about the rest of the time when you're getting it wrong? Well, then you think, well, I'm not worth anything, then am I? And that kind of stuff can perpetuate through our lives. And you know, even good fathers aren't perfect fathers. We get things wrong. I love my kids. I love my kids to bits. You've heard me say that. I would die for my kids, but I'm not a perfect father. <laughs> Ask my kids. They'll tell you I'm not a perfect father. But God is a perfect father. And so if we put our, hand, our life in God's hands, we're daring to trust him, saying, Lord, here I am with my past, Lots of it I'm not proud of. Lots of it is just such a car crash. Lots of it's a real mistake. My present, maybe my present's a bit of a car crash. My present with my struggles and my lack of faith and my kind of stuff that crowds in on me and causes me to stumble. And actually, do you know what? Maybe you don't feel like a really great Christian. You look around you on a night like this when people are worshipping and you think, wow, they look really holy and spiritual, but I know I'm not. And we begin to compare ourselves or we begin to not value ourselves or we begin to back away from the father because we're afraid that what we're going to get is judgment or criticism or anger but we're daring to maybe trust and put our lives even with all that past and within all the mistakes of today we're daring to put them our life in the hands of the father because somewhere inside there's a cry that says lord there's got to be more for me than this and i dare to believe that you're maybe truly a good good father So that when you hear Jeremiah 29, when God says, I've got plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, something inside says, Lord, let that be more than something on a fridge magnet. Lord, let it be true for my life, please, maybe. And you dare to believe it. And the Father looks down from heaven and is pleased with you. You know, even that crumb of hope you have. Why? Because he's a perfect Father who loves you. He has got plans for you. He's got plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He is longing for his kingdom to come to you and through you. His desire is for his will to be done in your life. 
And do you believe that his will is perfect? Well, I think so. <laughs> Trick question, everyone's a bit scared. Yeah, his will is perfect for our lives. And we kind of believe that, but sometimes we're not quite so sure. What do you mean for job, relationship, future? Can I really trust you with those things? And the Father's urging us to say yes and put our life in his hands. We, we don't have um, much liturgy here at St. Matt's. Obviously, I'm vicar out at St. Tom's as well, which is, a, we have the two, t- two churches and both are grown and it's exciting. And the kind of style of worship at St. Tom's is much more liturgical, using um, phrases and responses often um, that many of you here may, may know. And it's brilliant. It's a fantastic form of worship. I guess many of the ways our liturgy here, we do have liturgy. It's just more informal. It's in the songs. It's in the repeats of stuff that we use. But there is a liturgy that most Christians use in most churches that goes along with a kind of a call and response that goes like this. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? That is a liturgy you will find up and down every church in the country. And it kind of comes out automatically without even thinking about it. A bit like the Lord's Prayer or the Magnificat, for those of you who know that, or any other forms of... It's just, it comes out, it trips out of our mouth. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And it kind of aches at times because behind that I'm fine, thank you is often a heart that says, I'm actually really dying right now. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I am. I don't know where God is. Lord, help me, please. Someone help me. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling on the internet with porn. I'm struggling in my relationship with my girlfriend. I'm struggling with my parents. I I, I hate the people I'm working with. I hate my job. I find it really hard to worship. When I pray, I find it really hard. I, I haven't read the Bible for months. This is often what's in the background. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And I think what God is longing for are hearts that live in a place of safety within a church family where we can be honest with one another in our vulnerabilities and our struggles. I'm not talking about on a Sunday night in front of each other, a bit like, you know, AA, where one of you stands up and says, hi, my name's Barry and I've got a problem with... I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking with an openness and a sense of family and community and trust where we can be vulnerable with one another to allow God as the good, good father to speak into our circumstances, not with judgment, but with hope and transformation and kindness and love. I'm not a perfect father, but when my kids come to me, as they do, I'm thankful to say, and they share some of their struggles, I don't want to sit them down with a 12-point program to make them better. My gut response is often just to hold them in that moment and love them. You know, maybe they're crying. I'm probably crying with them when they share that. I'm privileged that that happens. And You know, it's not about trying to make my kids better. It's about trying to love them and win them and let their hearts be won by God so that God's spirit can move within us. And you know, that's true for God the Father. He doesn't simply want to make you better. He doesn't want to fix you. He wants to love you and heal you and transform you because you're remarkable and you're full of wonder and worth. Listen to this, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. You are, the chosen, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, 
from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. It's a beautiful verse that talks about the fact that God has chosen you. If you, if you've, if you turn to Jesus and you've kind of given your life to him, God, it's like God's choosing you. God's, he's not rejecting you. He's saying, I want you as my child. I want you to be someone who my kingdom will come through you. My will will be done through you. You know, often we think of God's will being done and his kingdom coming by this sort of vague osmosis kind of thing that it just sort of flops out of heaven and his kingdom comes and his will is done. Well, sometimes God does divinely break in, but he wants to use you and you and you and you and you. And he longs to work through you and work with you because he loves you. He's your father and you're his kids. And um, there's nothing the father loves more than working alongside his children and through his children. I've just, some of you know, I've just been restoring this old car with Sam and I've loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it's now back on the road and it's glorious and it's cool. And we kind of go out in it and we're kind of like looking cool together. Well, we think we look cool in it, but I'm not sure what other people think it's very, very loud and a bit embarrassing. But it's this car whizzing around and kind of Sam's in the car because like he's fixed, his, he's fixed this car with his dad. He's made this car. And his mates go, wow. And he goes, yeah, me and my dad made this car. Truth be told, his dad made this car and he put on a few nuts and bolts. A slight disservice, but mainly true. But he, you know, but there's nothing more l- wonderful when I work alongside Sam and he's putting on these nuts with a wrench the wrong way around. And I'm going, son, it'd be better if you put them on the other way around. All right, Dad. And he picks up a hammer and just starts hitting it. And it kind of it's a frustrating process sometimes working with other people because you know how to do it and they don't, and it'll be quicker just to do it yourself. Why does God not think this? You know, God is God. He could do it like that. But he uses numpties like you and me. And it must be frustrating for him. I think if you read the Gospels, you see that in Jesus. There must have been a lot of spiritual slap heading for Jesus when he was working with the disciples. Gritting teeth. Oh, that actually really hurt. (laughs) He loved the disciples. He worked with them. But they must have been incredibly frustrating. But why did Jesus use the disciples? Why does God the Father want to use the church? Because he loves working alongside his children. You are his children. You are no longer slaves or servants or kind of just things to be used by God. He loves you. And I love working with Sam, even though it probably took longer. But the process of working together and us talking and laughing and crying and him hitting me instead of the car and things like that with hammers. That part of the process and the joy of that is the Father working with the Son. God the Father wants to work with you and you're an instrument that he wants to use. You've got a message, as it says here, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. You've got, a, you've got a, a, an ability to tell the story, to tell others of the night and day difference he's made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That's who you now are. You're chosen by God. You're chosen for a purpose. Formed to be an instrument of God, working alongside him, with him. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to leave us with this thought. And we're going to share communion, and then we're just going to close this and worship a bit early. But as, as um, Andrew was praying, the passage in, which is where this has all just come from, really, the passage in John 20 came to mind. 
You know, when the disciples were in the upper room, remember these disciples have walked around with Jesus for three years. They've seen him do outrageous things. But we know the story. Jesus is going for crucifixion and they scatter, terrified. Peter denies him three times, you know, big mouth. He says, oh, that was my abandon you, Jesus, but I'll never abandon you. I'm sure that was another slaphead moment for Jesus. Yeah, right. And of course, there he is. He, he, not only does he run, but actually he, he swears and denounces against Jesus and when the cock crows three times. And they're, they're failures. They've messed up. They've seen Jesus do incredible things. They've worked with him. They've seen the power of God, and yet they're just scattered and afraid and vulnerable and confused. And we meet them in the upper room in, in John 20. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. You know, they're there, locked, hidden away in a room. Doors locked because they're scared. How many of us as Christians feel scared out in the world? We look at the media, we look at some of the struggle, the persecution around the world, and actually maybe we feel afraid of sharing our faith. We feel afraid of owning who we are as sons and daughters of God. Afraid of being rejected or laughed at or scorned or thinking we're weird. So there they are, afraid... And Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus is the greatest lock defeater. A locked door won't keep him out. The truth is these disciples wanted Jesus there, but they were afraid. And God fortunately looks at our hearts, even when we're afraid, even when we're vulnerable. If there's something within us that says, God, I do want you, no lock will hold him out. No history will hold him back. No shame will be able to overwhelm the love of God for you. Whatever sin you may feel is kind of enshrouding in your life, Jesus is more and greater and bigger and stronger. The death, death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't handle him. He is the one who defeats locks, and he comes and he stands amongst them. I love this bit. He stood amongst them and said, peace be with you, which probably he needed to say, because I imagine they were utterly freaked out at that moment. And he shows them his hands. He's willing to show them you know, his wounds to remind them of what he's gone through. And in a moment, we're going to share communion. We're going to be reminded of the wounds of Jesus. As he hung on a cross, he had you in mind. He carried your brokenness, my brokenness, your shame, my history. He carried your, uh, your fears, your f- uncertainty, your lack of faith. He carried all of that on his shoulders, on the cross. And he showed them his hands and his side, and they were overjoyed. That beautiful understatement. I think that King James says, and they were happy. (laughs) Love a good bit of understatement. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he says this, and this is the key part for you and for me. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. See, we are sent to the world. We're sent to the workplaces. We're sent to the campuses. We're sent to our friends and our family which maybe is a fearful thing, but we don't go alone. We go, God, with us. We go with the Father working with us, like I work with Sam on my car to get the job done. The Father says, I want you to have a go. And it doesn't matter if you cock up and get the nuts around the wrong way. I'm not sure that analogy works very well. But, you know, it doesn't matter if you use a hammer instead of a screwdriver. I'm going to be with you, and I can make it right. And not only that, I can train you and equip you and sharpen you. Because you're full of worth and you're full of potential and you don't go alone. You go with my power. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They encounter Jesus. 
Maybe some of you need to encounter Jesus afresh. Because when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. You go from fear to faith. They were scared. And in that moment, Jesus is there and he breathes out peace. And they breathe in and receive peace instead of fear. They encounter him and then he empowers them. And they receive his breath of life breathed into him. And then they emerge from that place and they're sent out. I just want to pray for us that as we take this communion now, we maybe have a fresh encounter with Jesus again to be reminded who we are, sons and daughters of the King, people who are being trained and equipped to make a difference in the world so that his kingdom can come and that his will is done. He wants to use you, whatever your past, whatever your present. He's got more for you. But it needs to be a work of his spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Holy Spirit. And that's something we need to live by. That's why as a church, you know, one of our foundation stones is encounters of God. And that's often in worship and in those times of kind of space where we look for him. And then encounters with the Holy Spirit to be empowered. As we take communion in a minute, I want to encourage you. We're going to come and take some bread and share some wine. I think, yeah, if you guys can bring the table, I don't know who's coming to help. I don't know much tonight, really. Um, you know, we can get into, we can be so religious about these things in an unhelpful kind of way. And we can, it's like when someone says pray and we instantly adopt the shampoo position and look earnest because it helps us reach heaven better. You know, we can do all that stuff. And I'm, I'm joking about it, I do it. We can easily go into that mode or we, it's like when the screens, the words come on the song and we can go and kind of go into a rabbit in a headlight reading the words off the song and then we find our hands going up subconsciously. <laughs> why did that happen? We want everything we do to be authentic, which is why I say if we're, when we're worshiping and you, you, you're struggling, it's okay to stay seated. It's okay to say, God, do you know what? Tonight I feel really not great. There's something in me that wants to worship you, but actually I'm struggling. For some of you who are here tonight carrying really heavy deals, God doesn't want you to put on a mask of, okay. God wants you to be real and authentic because he wants to meet you in that place and he wants to raise your heart and raise your hands in a different kind of way. So when we come to worship, I don't want us just to go through the ritual, we eat some bread and we take some wine and then we go sit down. We're coming to a table that's an invitation from Jesus. He says, come and feast on me. I'm the bread of life, says Jesus. Whoever eats from me is not going to get hungry. I'm hungry for God's kingdom in my life and I recognize that I struggle I'm hungry for God's kingdom to come in our city. I'm fed up of just doing church services. I say that as a church leader who's been doing it for many years. I don't want to just do church. I don't want to just provide a service in that sort of way. I want our church to transform our hearts and lives and our city. That's my longing for the church in the city. That's why I'm meeting every week now with church leaders across the city, and we're praying for God's kingdom to come for, for transformation. So when we receive this bread, my cry is, Jesus, I want to feast on you. I want to know you fully in my heart, and I want to know what it is to truly be a child of God. As I receive from you tonight, Jesus, this bread and this wine, I'm, I'm kind of sharing in that supper you gave with your friends because you are no longer servants, you're friends. And in the same way that Jesus broke the bread and gave to his friends at that table, you're his friend. It's like you're breaking into history and he's saying, you're at this table with me now and I'm giving you this bread. He looks you in the eyes and says, Kieran, you're my boy. I died for you. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Liz, 
my precious daughter, called by name. I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. My body was broken for you. By name, he knows you. He calls you. And you can receive that bread. And it may be that as we've kind of had, as you've taken some bread, you might want to just go and sit down for a bit and just soak in that moment. Just allow God to speak to you, to remind you that he is the good, good father who knows all about your life. And you may have some really deep prayers right now that you really wish that he would hear. So give them to him. Where you are, sitting down, just offer them to him. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm receiving this bread. I'm receiving this wine because I need you in this area of my life. I want to see this breakthrough. I want to see your kingdom come. We can do that together. We'll just worship. And then we'll go home. Is that okay? I've got no idea who's helping with communion.